With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sticks bringing home the annual day that I look forward to so much. Steve Dace's college football preview begins to trickle out. Section by section, of course, we are today talking about his annual crystal ball predictions. One of my favorite recurring themes from his preview each and every year. Steve, this year we're going to do something different. In the past, I've sort of read them. Uh, This year, you're going to read them to me and I'll react. I have not looked at these, as is always the case. I'd like to be hit with these, especially this column cold. This is right up there with my, you know, former love of turnovers equals turnaround section of Phil Steele, where the first thing I do when I open that magazine was go to like H327 and look at that particular statistic. Um, this is the this is the thing I want to see most about your preview each and every year. So this is the podcast we do each year, which is why we increase the production budget for this particular episode. Indeed. And I mean, when you're talking about sampling 40 year old songs, I think that gives an audience right there an idea of just how much of the production value we're putting into this episode. Um, All kidding aside, though, that's very high praise. I really appreciate it. And if you're new to our podcast, this is kind of the opening salvo of my preview every year where I kind of lay out the 20, the top 25 things that I believe will or won't happen this season. And then at the end of the, and this, at the end of the year, we always go back and do a reconciliation because we're big on accountability around here. And I want to say I got about 10 or 11 of these, right? Does that sound right to you back in 2018? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and I'll get, I'll usually get somewhere between 10 and 14 or 15, right? You get any more than that, then you know, your Oracle Adelphi territory. Okay. So are you ready to go? Let's go. Number one, with it seemingly a foregone conclusion that it's Alabama, Clemson, and everybody else, college football's 150th commemorative year will deliver plenty of surprises, including multiple upsets on conference championship weekend that shake up the playoff race. And if you okay, this, the, go ahead. No, no, you were going to, I'll let you get your qualifier in. Okay. If you look at the history of college football, there's two reoccurring themes. One, that every time it seems as if everything is settled and taken care of, it's not. That's why routinely we have the biggest upsets on those weeks where there's like no games among top 25 teams. That's always when we see the big upsets. And then number two, we never see it coming. All right? So I'm, I think with this being the 150th year, you know, we're overdue for a 2007 kind of year, you know, where an LSU wins the title with two losses and five or six different teams are number one. And we had 
15 uh, upsets of unranked teams beating top 10 teams that year. I think we're heading into that kind of a season this fall. Okay, so this is vague, and we want to make sure that we have an objective set of criteria which to judge you. Multiple would mean more than one. Yes. At least two. So you're saying there would be at least two upsets. What defines an upset? Meaning, well, I mean, obviously a team that um, a team that everybody thinks going in is slated for the playoff loses. Okay, give us an ex- I mean, give us an example without giving away too much of what you're going to be giving away later, or, or or from last year per se, maybe. Well, let's say Georgia doesn't run a fake punt last year with Justin Fields that Alabama saw coming a mile away, and they end up holding on and winning that game. That would be an example of what I'm talking about. Okay. I, I just, Listen, I just want to make sure, because as we all know, you try to reverse engineer these point spread things that we play every week during the season and you use the opening line, which everybody knows is preposterous uh, and all that. So I just want to make sure for we don't, we don't give those trolls any more ammo out there. No, we just we haven't had it. We were overdue for a year where there's a shakeup on championship weekend. We haven't really had one. When you stop and think about it in the playoff era, name me. I mean, yet you know, Georgia beat, um, you know, Alabama didn't even make the SEC championship game a couple of years ago and still made the playoff. Right. So in the since the playoff era began in 2014, I don't even I can't even think of one upset that took a team out of the playoff. That happened on championship weekend. So we're way, because this used to happen, for those of you that don't remember, this used to happen in the BCS era all the time. Hell, that's half the reason the Big 12 got rid of their championship game. It kept happening to them. All right? Mm -hmm. So this this is way overdue. In fact, the last one that I can think of was in 2013 when Michigan State upset Ohio State in the Big 10 championship game. But that was the last year before the playoff. Since the, since we've had the playoff, Pretty much the chalk that was expected, you know, that first year, oh, you didn't think Ohio State was going to win 59 to nothing against Wisconsin, and that kind of vaulted them in there. But there really hasn't been a loss in a championship game in, the, in, in you know, in December that changed the makeup of the playoff. Um, you know, everybody, everybody knew Auburn was in if it beat Georgia, but those teams were on equal footing. That, so neither one of those teams winning was considered an upset. You know right. what I'm saying? So yes. I think we're overdue for a couple of those. Okay. All right. Now we've, we've clarified it, so then we can score it later on. Number two, Alabama-Clemson will not meet in the national championship game. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, that's, that's it's foregone conclusion stuff, that, 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 or at least it's collective wisdom. They're both the odds-on favorite to meet there. So I think that's stepping out a little bit. Basically, you're taking, you're getting the field against Alabama and Clemson making it. I would probably lay money on that. But again, those are the prohibitive favorites to meet there. So I like it. And remember, they played in the semifinals just two years ago. Remember. Right. Okay. Right. And and if they played in the semifinals again this year, um, then you'll be right. Right. Number three, for the first time, a two-loss team will make the playoff. In fact, multiple two-loss teams will be in contention for the final playoff spot. So this sounds familiar. I think you did this one last year. 
I did. Yep. And I think the first sentence of this one is what we will focus on. The second one, you're just sprinkling frosting. <laughs> so for like the to, first time, like to sprinkle. You know, uh, like you do absolutely. It's what you're known for. Yes. Um, so for the first time, a two-loss team will make the college football playoff. Um, you know, you look around. I mean, is it, can can a team get through the Big Ten without two losses? I don't think that's going to happen this year. I don't think that's going to happen in the Pac-12. Uh, maybe the Big 12s, maybe. But then, you know, it's, there's four slots. And you've got, yeah, no, I, I'm down. I'm down. That means somebody's going, well, means someone, yeah, okay. I'm good. I was just about to make a dumb statement on math. So, thankfully, I, I thought that through. And, I'm and good for, pe- for people who think this is a major phobia, last year, Georgia had two losses. <laughs> And was ranked ahead of Ohio State in the final playoff pairings, remember? Georgia was fifth. Ohio State was sixth. Remember in 2016, the, the, the three teams vying for the last three spots, or the last spot in the playoff, one loss Washington, two loss Big Ten champion Penn State, two loss Michigan. Those were the three teams that were in contention for the final playoff spot in 2016. And then in 28 and 2017, Auburn, with two losses, was number two in the country, Heading into the SEC championship game, had it defeated Georgia, it would have been in the playoff. It might have even been the number one overall seed. So for people who act as if this is an automatic disqualifier for the committee, it just it, I don't agree with that at all. It just so happens that when those two lost teams have been kind of right there, like maybe you could look at 2016 and say, yeah, they kind of went with Washington because they only had one loss. And they already had a Big Ten team in there. OK, you know, but. Um, two lost teams have been closer to getting in than a lot of, than a lot of the conventional wisdom claims. Okay. Okay. Let's Mm -hmm. get to number four. Nick Saban will finally lose a game to a former assistant. How many do we have before it will happen this fall and Kirby smart will be the assistant that defeats him. Okay. How many, how many other assistants are on the schedule? Or it could be Jimbo Fisher. They're both on the schedule. For Texas A&M. So you've got Texas okay. A&M and you have, uh, if they play in the SEC championship game, you've got uh, Kirby Smart of Georgia. And there's another one or two, but they're, they're Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Those are, that's not a team that can compete. But he will lose one of those two games to one of his two assistants this year. All right. It's a good one. Yeah. Odds are not in the favor. Number five, I get it, the feeling this is the last year I'm going to be able to put this one in but I'm staying with it until they prove me otherwise. After losing four games in a season only once from 1969 to 2001, Nebraska will lose at least four games for the 16th straight season. I think they'll be much better, but I think they're kind of an eight and four kind of a team. Kind of a ceiling eight and four. Yeah, I I agree. And I, I love that stat. I hope we get several more years of it. But I agree with you, and my agreement with you is largely based on your player ranking data, looking at what Nebraska has in these, you know, their two youngest classes and the talent that they have, uh, very, very talented. And, you know, they're probably going to keep recruiting at a good level. Then we'll just get come down to see their development. But I think you're right. I think that'll, I think this might be it. Now, this class we talked before is off to a slow start in 2020. And they just had the best prospect in the state of Nebraska, a safety commit to Notre Dame over in Nebraska. Mm. So I don't know what's going on there. 
something to watch going forward. Mm-hmm. Number six, Minnesota will end one of the three longest championship droughts in major college football when it wins the Big Ten West. You're an idiot. I mean, that's not happening. But that's why this is the crystal ball. That's what you, you see. Sometimes the ball's cracked. You're high on Minnesota. I think you said Minnesota and Iowa's talent ratings are very close. Is that right? Your overall power rating? Overall power rating. Iowa's the more talented team. But when you factor in the schedule, the schedule. Okay. They're, they're basically two points difference between the two. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hope you're wrong on that one. Number seven, Mark D'Antonio will hey, real, real quick. I, yep. I, I think I think I think people are vastly overrating either Nebraska or Minnesota. That's what I, I think. I think people are vastly overrating Wisconsin, is what I think. I mean, well, it sounds like the whole damn Big Twelve West is overrated. <laughs> Number seven. <laughs> Mark D'Antonio will retire from Michigan State at the end of the season, and the school will name Pittsburgh coach Pat Narduzzi as his replacement, the former Michigan State defensive coordinator. So this is your new Bill Snyder retires. Or Steve Spurrier. Yeah, he's getting up there. I think this is his last year to make a run. Looking at their roster now and what they have coming down the pike, they've kind of leveled off in recruiting. I like their roster this year. Most of these guys are moving on. I think if you look at the level of recruiting of the rest of the, of the conference, I think Michigan State's kind of getting left behind here. Um, I mean, it, they can, with him, as, as, with as good of a coach as he is, they can win a lot of games in this league with the fourth or fifth best recruiting class. The problem is getting the fourth or fifth best recruiting class in this league is, is even harder than it was five years ago with oh, yeah. Jeff Rahm at Purdue, P.J. Fleck. Hell, Iowa right now has a top 25 class. That almost that, that's happened like one time ever under Kirk Ferentz. You know, Wisconsin's hitting the recruiting trail hard this year because it's not gone well for them the last couple of years, except for the, the quarterback they got, Graham Mertz. So um, there's and 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 if you look at if you look at four and five stars that Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State are recruiting, they're lapping the rest of the field in the Big Ten, man. And right. I, I, it, the, and last year, the reshuffling of the staff, that tells me that's a coach that isn't looking at four or five years. He's trying to, he, he, he's got a, a lot of these guys back, a tremendous defensive front seven. That tells me he didn't want to make a bunch of major changes and displace a bunch of coaches when maybe he ain't here for the long haul. And I think he's going to try to make one last run this fall. And I think he's going to hang it up. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay. That is a bold prediction. Number eight, Clay Helton will survive at USC, mainly because Urban Meyer will have no interest taking over at that university until it figures out its administration. Remember, it's got multiple scandals right now. It's got the the college admission scandal that the feds are involved in, and people are going to prison. You know, uh, what's your you know Full House cast members are going to prison for that. You've got the whole controversy with is Lynn Swan going to remain the AD? Now you've got a former assistant coach suing the school, saying that he reported NCAA violations and he got canned for it. That I can see Urban Meyer saying, I may let this one simmer for a bit, not to mention Florida State might fire Willie Taggart a year or two from now, and that might be a better job. So I'm going to say Clay Helton will win enough 
seven, eight, nine games. And then with everything going on in the off season with them, Urban Meyer says, you know, I don't, that's too much. That's too much baggage for me. So Clay Helton survives. I'd say normally making a prediction that someone is going to keep their job is a little on the safe side. But I think considering this particular job and all of the uh, stuff full of negativity that's swirling out there right now, I think that's, I think that's solid. Like that will, it's not a, a, that's not a layup. Number nine, after losing four games or more for the 11th time in the last 13 years, that stat's incredible. Auburn will fire Gus Malzahn after the season and hire Liberty's Hugh Freeze as its next head coach for the one thing Freeze has proven he knows how to do is beat Nick Saban in Alabama. That is that is your annual Phil Fulmer will be fired by Tennessee and replaced by current Oakland Raiders head coach Lane Kiffin prediction. That's what that is. That is that is a multi-part prediction, and all those parts have their challenges. So if you hit that one, you earned it. By the way, one of the crystal ball predictions I got right last year was predicting that either Hugh Freeze or Gus Malzahn would have an FBS coaching job. And Hugh Freeze did. He got one at Liberty. So there you go. Number, Number 10. Two teams from the SEC will make the college football playoff for the second time in three years. I mean, you got Bama and Georgia, and that would be I the two. I think it's going to be those two. I think it's going to be those two. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I mean, everybody, I mean the, the, the national intelligentsia loves the SEC, and I think that um, – Makes me want to vomit, but it, uh, it's tough to argue with City Hall right now. Number 11. This will be the last season played under the current college football playoff format. The field will be expanded and or the selection process altered for 2020. That's bold. I think the selection process being altered is far more likely than the field being expanded. And when you say selection process being altered, do you have something in mind? And I'm at not, the very this, this least, more, more transparency. We'll see who's. We'll see people's ballots. Live feeds during the deliberation process. This is this is a star chamber. We've done this podcast. I don't need to reset it all. But I, I just think when you have something that's this lucrative, and the process is this closed, and it's everything the NCAA basketball tournament that annoys everybody about the NCAA basketball tournament. But then imagine there's no way to play yourself in. That's why it's not a playoff. It's an invitational. And when you have something that's this lucrative, then I, I just think there's way too many people. Now that everybody's got their own TV network, the ACC is launching theirs this fall. Uh, the Big 12 is essentially launching theirs via ESPN+. Plus. Everybody's stationed on this. I don't think you'll see another... I don't think we're going to get the four 16-team super conferences. Um, I, I think you'll get a new commissioner in the Pac-12 who might know his head from a hole in the ground and, and start making the same money everybody else is making. And everybody's going to be like, hey, 
essentially everybody but the SEC is here right now. If we took a vote on expanding the playoff, the only conference that would vote no is the SEC. All the others would vote yes. So when you build that kind of critical mass, and, and, and given what's, how, much this is, how, many, how many dollars and how much notoriety and publicity is at stake, to have a process this mercurial, this illegitimate, deciding it, it just people don't put up with that for too long if they have options. You know, they need to, they need to turn this into a reality show. You said live look-ins. Let's, let's just go big brother. Let's sequester them all, you know, for weeks on end. You know, back in, you know, we could have had, you know, Gary Barta just over in the corner making out with Condi Rice as a little cutaway, big brother style. But no, that doesn't happen because Condi's not going to be there now. Um, Gary's in it. Not that that would have happened uh, at all. But you know, turn it into a, to turn it into a reality TV show, spice it up a little bit. But your explanation is far more likely. Number twelve, this will be Mike Gundy's final season at Oklahoma State, one way or another. Dang, I mean, the guy's done a good job there. I don't. I think if you look at his era in totality, it's impossible to say that he's underperformed. I think that he's actually overperformed considering their historical pecking order in the Big Agreed. 12 relative to recruiting. Yep. Uh, he, he is on the Mount Rushmore, I think. Uh, of a, well, that's, man, that's close because you've got some wrestling coaches. You've got Iba. Um, but he, he, he's, one of the, he's one of the all-time greats there relative to coaching. He's a, he's a favorite son. He played quarterback uh, in the same backfield with Barry Sanders. I love the guy's style. Um, and they are absolutely little brother in this state that I reside in, Oklahoma. I think that that would be a very short-sighted thing to get rid of him. But, and, and, and he had a new contract just a couple of years ago. So if he leaves, probably just sick and tired of it, wants a new challenge. That could happen too. But this is, this is home. Totally agree with you, but you also know from living there, him and the new AD don't get along. The new AD's blasted his recruiting publicly. Him and Boone, T. Boone Pickens are on, are, have been uh, uh, estranged the last few years. And he's kind of getting into that Dan McCartney zone now, where he, where he never took that next step. You know, they were going to get to the BCS championship game and lost that Friday night game to, Ohio, to Iowa State. And, and since then, they've kind of been the 10 and 3 team. And now last year, they, were, they beat Texas um, and another top 10 team and then went 7 and 5. This year, their win total is six and a half in Vegas. You know from your own experience covering college sports that that's almost the worst place for a coach to be in is the, is the when do we get to the next level place. Right. Because Bro, yeah. most, most of the schools that ask that can't reach a next level because they, they, they don't want to admit who they are. They're not, they don't want to right. say in a self oh, yeah. I, yeah. I know what you're saying, bro. I used to make the Kool-Aid. After Tom Davis, get to that next level. Um, and then you get older and you get some self-awareness. And some of you won't like that because everybody always thinks, well, we can be, why can't we be them? Why can't we? There's, there's a number of reasons why you can't and you won't. And you certainly won't consistently. And, but you're right. Well, what's that old uh, Batman line? Um, stick around long enough, you become the villain or something like that? Yeah, you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. There you go. That's maybe where they're at. 13, Texas A&M. Plays Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia this season. Two of them on the road. The Aggies will win at least one of those games. 
mm, Clemson, Alabama. That's bold. They'll be underdogs in all of those. Uh, potentially double-digit underdogs. 14. Iowa will announce offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz as its head coach in waiting whenever his father, Kirk Ferentz, decides to retire. Hmm. At some point in time, you think something like that's going to need to happen. Uh, Kirk's showing no signs physically, for sure. Dude's in better shape than I am, and I'm 48, and he's pushing 64. Um, and, and no signs verbally from him that he wants to step away. But at some point in time, that can be used against you in recruiting. So they may need to do that. I don't know that it's this year, but again, you're not sitting here for layups. That's a bold one. It's also like the the peak Gary Barta move. Let's be honest. Yeah, you're, yeah. It would be like Barta's the first one to do it. No, no. But that kind of put yourself in a situation that you don't have to make any major decisions. That's that's Gary Barta in a nutshell. Number number fifteen. Jim Harbaugh finally beats Ohio State. Um, if he doesn't beat Ohio State this year, the pressure level is turned up to eleven. Fair to say, I would. I don't know, man, because it's 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 really odd. I mean, if he loses to him this year, he'll be the first Michigan coach ever to to start zero and five against Ohio State. And I don't even know if a Michigan coach has ever lost five in a row to Ohio State, like ever. Let alone like, any I ever point. got the chance. Yes. So. On the other hand, you know, even by the most conservative estimate, you and I would still agree he's probably a top 15 coach in college football. My power ratings have him at 11. Well, I'll even say he's a top 20 coach. I'll even lower the bar more. You know, do you fire a top 20 overall coach who's a favorite son, who's, who's winning 75% of his games? I, I don't know. It would be one of the most unique circumstances we'd ever we've ever seen. I, right. In many respects, you know, it's not even what happened when Earl Bruce was at Ohio State, because Earl Bruce had about the same win percentage as Jim Harbaugh does. But Earl Bruce had a winning record against Bo Schembechler. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like four, three, and one against him, or something like that. You know, or five right. and four, maybe is what the record was. So it, this would be one of the oddest situations. It's, it would be like, you know, Mac Brown or Bob Stoops going 10-1 and one every year when we had 11-game schedules, when they were at Oklahoma and Texas together, and, and one of them just couldn't beat the other one. I mean, do you, right. do you fire Mac Brown for going 10-1 and one because he, but every year, or 9-2, and two, but he can't beat? You know what I'm saying? It's a weird oh, situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know that we've right. ever seen anything like that. That would be interesting. I'd like to not see Ohio State win again, but... And again, crank up the popcorn and away we go. Number 16, staying in the Big Ten. Lovey Smith will resign from Illinois, and the school will replace him with Cincinnati's Luke Fickle. Say that again. Lovey Smith, and I, know, and I, I worded it resign on purpose. Because remember what I said a few minutes ago? Hiring, I mean, right now, if Gary Barter could hire a Ferentz grand, grandchild and name him coach in waiting, he would. All right, whatever, right. whatever puts him in the safest position to, to, to activate the Peter principle and kick the can down the road, he's all for. Well, this would be peak Lovey Smith. You know what? You go to your buddy who's the AD who took a chance on you, class guy, right. and you're like, you know what? I gave it my best shot, but 
you don't have to fire me. I, I'll, I'll resign. So Lovey Smith will resign from Illinois, and the school will replace him with Cincinnati coach Luke Fickle, the former Ohio State interim coach, defensive coordinator. I absolutely can see Levy Smith resigning if they don't gain any traction, if we're hovering around the three to four win range again, and there's more 63 to nothing type losses to Iowa late in the season. Just like, all right, I'm done here. What can I do? Uh, the other part, obviously more challenging who to replace him calling a shot like that is a tough call. Number 17, Missouri will win its appeal. And the NCAA will rescind its bull ban for this season. I wonder when that uh, appeal is supposed to be heard or ruled upon. Could be tomorrow. Could be Thanksgiving weekend. It's the NCAA. Number Never 18. The Heisman Trophy finalists will be in alphabetical order. Jake Fromm at Georgia. Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Shea Patterson at Michigan. Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama, all quarterbacks. Um, I, I think it's either it's either Lawrence or Tagovailoa. That's who I would go with. Well, that brings us to number nineteen. Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa will win the Heisman Trophy. Do we have a concern about a split vote in the South between Lawrence and Tagovailoa? And, you know, I guess from for that matter. That's a good question. That's a that's a good point. Yeah. If Shea, if Shea Patterson has the type of season you and others think he is said to have in this new offense, then you know he's going to garner a lot of Midwestern, potentially even Northeastern votes. Um. I, I think that Lawrence and Tagaviola could split a lot of ballots. So Patterson as a dark horse, what was he, plus 20 to 1? Is that what we talked about a few weeks back? Yes. That might not be a bad uh, bad guy to throw a finny down on. I've seen him at some books at 40 to 1. <laughs> as Jesse the Body once said, get down, brother. <laughs> All right, we're going to take these one by one for number 20. You tell me what you think, okay? Okay. The results of the top five early non-conference games will be opening weekend. I think Oregon is going to beat Auburn. They've got a huge quarterback advantage with the likely number one pick in the NFL draft, Justin Herbert, versus a freshman or redshirt freshman who's going to make their first start. And unlike Washington last year, Oregon has arguably – the best offensive line in the country or one of them right up there with Georgia and a few other schools. So they can match up in the trenches up front against Auburn's defense. Remember last year, Washington found out it's it's star left tackle um, got injured right before that first game. And that, and they had to play that game without him. So I think Oregon can stand up against Auburn's defensive front. And with the huge advantage at quarterback, I think Oregon beats Auburn. That's the Jerry world. Yes. Um, yeah, I see that. I can see that. Game number two. I like LSU to go on the road and beat Texas. I think they escape Austin because you've got a young Texas defense that's still getting its feet wet early in the year. So I think LSU goes down there with Joe Burrow and the better defense and gets out of Texas with a, with a, um, with a victory. 
in that game. Yeah, I can see that. It just feels like a 26-23 kind of squeaker. Right. 26-24. Right. Grinder. Now, remember I said I thought A&M was going to win at least one of those games versus the big three? Mm-hmm. Texas A&M will go on the road to Death Valley and give Clemson its only loss of the year. They went toe-to-toe with the national champs a year ago. Trevor Lawrence struggled in that game, got benched to bring Kelly Bryant back, and Kelly Bryant bailed him out at the end. And then when they named Trevor Lawrence the starter, that's when he transferred to Missouri a couple of days later. I think this is the game AM gets. It's the only loss for Clemson, and they kind of have a history. You know, they've done this before where they kind of lose a game at home. A couple of years ago, when they won the national championship with Deshaun Watson, they lost that crazy game to Pitt at home, remember, in November. So I think Texas A&M goes on the road to Death Valley and pulls a huge non-conference upset against the defending national champions. That is a big call. Big call. Texas A&M probably, what, seven and a half to nine and a half point dog in that game? Uh, There'll be a double-digit dog in that game, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. That's a big call. I like Georgia over Notre Dame. You know, when they played two years ago in South Bend, that was Jake Fromm's first start as a true freshman under the lights. That was his coming out party, his debutante ball. I think the rematch will be his Heisman showcase. So I like Georgia to beat Notre Dame between the hedges. I think that will happen too. And then finally, week zero, it's the first game of the season. It is only 47 days away. 2019's kickoff classic renews the in-state rivalry between Florida and Miami. I think Dan Mullen's team is just a little bit more established heading into an opening game than Miami. If these teams played four or five weeks later, might have a different prediction at the Citrus Bowl. But week one with the returning quarterback, he's had a full year to put in a system as opposed to Manny Diaz, who's loved as the defensive coordinator down there, but it's his first game as a head coach. So I think Florida just has a program advantage in this spot against Miami. Where did you say that Florida Miami are playing that game again? It's in Orlando at the Citrus Bowl. Okay. Uh, all right. That's what I thought. That's actually, have they ever done that before? No. Go home and home. Okay. Yeah, they had to get a special, they had to get a special waiver from the NCAA. Right now, Hawaii has a, has a permanent waiver to play that week because, you know, island travel, so they give them an extra game. Mm-hmm. Um, so Florida, Miami, ESPN went to the NCAA and gave them a, a waiver to move this game to that week zero. It's going to be four o'clock Eastern Saturday, August 24th, Florida, Miami. That's the first game of the year. I'm going to be down in Florida, August 11th through the 18th. And I'm already dreading the humidity. I can't even imagine being in Orlando that, that early that time of day, how uncomfortable that will be. Yeah, it is a little weird given that time of year. They're not going to play that game in the prime time. You're right about that. Weird. Yep. All right, number 21, Iowa, Syracuse, and Wisconsin will begin the season ranked in the top 25, but will not finish there. Well, we, we've talked about Iowa's schedule. It is a ball buster. Uh, a nine and three season for Iowa, I think, would be fantastic. Eight and four would not be your typical eight and four. And you know, I I'm sure we'd see a number of people saying, "Well, Iowa just went eight four again." But you know, eight and four with this schedule might even get them get them, get them in at twenty five. Uh, we both think Wisconsin's thin. Uh, probably will be overrated. 
And you certainly believe that Syracuse is a, a snapback to reality season ahead of them. Number 22, Minnesota, Missouri, and USC won't be ranked in the preseason top 25, but we'll finish there. Man, you love you some P.J. Fleck this year. You are all in. You've been all in on him since he got there. You do this to spite me, I think. I don't. I just know that program. I grew up in West Michigan, so I know it's not an easy program to win at. It doesn't have a lot of great history, and he built a program there. I, I understand why you think the way you do. There is precedent for it. What's different between him and Tim Brewster and just picks the rest of these guys that kind of have the Pentecostal youth minister shtick, okay? The, get, the difference is this guy's actually built a program. That's the difference. He built a program at Western Michigan. He didn't take over at Toledo where everybody, you know, were a bad year for them, no matter who's the coach, is seven and five. And he went nine and three once and then talked his way into a Big Ten job for, that was desperate for some charisma after having Jerry Kill and, and his and Tracy Clays there for, for 10 years. This guy right. built an actual program with guys playing in the NFL right now. So I get the shtickish part of it that you kind of, you are like, I'm skeptical. I'm looking at the resume, and the resume is legit. We'll see. That's, that's, it's, it's a crystal ball prediction. The following, number 23, the following first-year coaches will lead their teams to bowl games this season in alphabetical order. Gary Anderson at Utah State. Remember him. Yes, Rod Carey. Yes. Rod Carey at Temple. Ryan Day, Ohio State. Manny Diaz at Miami. Eli Drinkwitz at Appalachian State. I love that name. Thomas Hammock at Northern Illinois. Dana Holgerson, now at Houston. And Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. Kansas State. You are a much larger Kleiman fan than Ron Prince fan. Here's why. The situation he's walking into at Kansas State is exactly what he walked into with the Bison. He's taking over a program he didn't build. All right. Like Craig Bull built that program. He's taking it. He took it over. He stewarded it. All right. Left a lot of what made it successful and unique in place. That's what he's got to do at Kansas State. Ron Prince wanted to be his own guy. You need to build on what Bill Snyder and follow his blueprint and approach. And then the, a lot of the players he had to recruit and develop with the Bison are pretty much the same level of players going to be recruiting and developing at Kansas State. So I think it's a good hire in terms of the fit. Now we'll just see if he can pull, pull it off. Much like I think the next Iowa coach needs to embrace a style of play that has been successful in Iowa City for 40 years. And I think that it would be very difficult to adapt much else considering what your annual recruiting base can realistically and repeatedly put out that is big guys in the trenches and physical development i think the same thing is for for kansas state and climbing probably brings that number 24 liquidate these teams that will win at least two fewer games than they did last season now this doesn't count the postseason okay so this is what they'll do in you know in the first in the 12 week regular season buffalo won 10 games last year. Central Florida won 12. Florida International won 7. Fresno State won 10. Kentucky won 9. Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee won 8. Utah State won 11. Washington State won 10. West Virginia won 9. I think all of those schools are going to win at least two fewer games this season than they did last year. 
Yeah, I mean, Buffalo, that, that is out out kicking their coverage for most of their history. Central Florida, at some point in time, the bubble bursts, and they have quarterback issues this year with the injury. Um, Florida International, I know nothing about. Fresno State loses a ton of personnel, a ton of losses. Uh, Kentucky, that was one of their best ever seasons in the modern-day SEC, uh, if not ever. Um, Utah State, 11 wins, historic for that program. You know, it's it doesn't happen a lot. Washington State, I, I would imagine the school record's probably 11. That was a, a great year for them last year. And then, you know, West Virginia, losing Dana Holgerson. So I think those are all, most, most of them uh, have a lot of logic to them. And then finally, number 25, invest in these teams that will win at least two more games than they won last regular season. Last year, Baylor won six, Florida State, five, Minnesota, six, Navy, three, Nebraska, four, North Carolina, two, Oregon, eight, Rutgers, one, TCU, six, Tennessee, five, USC, five, UCLA, three, Western Kentucky, three, and Western Michigan, six. I think all of those programs will win at least two more games than last year's total. The biggest problem I have is Rutgers. They won one last year. What's their, what's their non-con look like this year? I think I counted two non-conference wins, like a Texas State, and then I think they have like a UConn. Gotcha. Okay, well, it's going to have to come in the non-conference because I, I think they're the worst team in the Big Ten um, by a long shot. By a long shot. No, a number of, I mean, those are all really good bets. I bet you probably hit on 70% of those. Those are usually, the, those two final ones, I'm, I'm, I usually hit on those every single year. I get to yeah, the majority no, you, of those right. Yeah, you do. You, you do very well on those. And I believe that took us to number 25. So, folks, there you have it. The 2019 Crystal Ball Predictions. Many, many ledges walked out on in this. Uh, I don't know that I see any layups. There are a few that seem a little more likely than others, but then again, you still had to think of them. And they're not, I don't know that there's any foregone conclusions in there. So as always, excellent work. Thank you. Thank you. You thought that uh, enough, I, I, ex I exerted enough testosterone there for your liking. No, no mangina, no wimping out. We no. went all in. Yeah, you, you, you went uh, all in. I think I'll just, I was going to say something else that I would have had to edit think, out later. I think I knew what you were going to say, and yes, that's what I did. Yes. Yeah, you, 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 you little BD. So uh, well done, and that will do it for this installment of the Agent Podcast. I'm John Miller. For Steve Dace, we'll talk to you next time.